Welcome to Tea with Culture. My name is Hin Mizena, and this episode is dedicated to uh, the first film uh, that was made in Kuwait, uh, released in 1972. The film is called Bas Ya Bahar in Arabic, and in English it's called The Cruel Sea by the director Khaled Al Siddiq. To talk about this film, I invited uh, Faisal Salah, who recently joined The National, who is also uh, one of the few cinephile friends I personally know in the UAE. He's based in Abu Dhabi. And we both had the opportunity to watch this movie on the big screen, a rare uh, thing to, uh, for a film like this. It was shown at the NYU Abu Dhabi University last week in conjunction with the symposium about film and visual studies in the Gulf. Um, so yeah, we couldn't miss this opportunity because this is a film we've all known of uh, from our childhood. It's been shown on TV. It's uh, it's definitely a title I was very much aware of, but it was also a film that was difficult to see because it was never really released properly on, you know, DVD. It was not. It didn't necessarily get a proper theatrical release in the region. I don't think it's, it's known very well internationally uh, outside kind of film festival circuits. Um, Ironically, it won an award in Venice and it won an award in Chicago. And, um, and, and I think amongst maybe, maybe the world of cinephiles, they know of this film. But I think, and, and obviously in the region, everyone knows about this. I think our parents know about this. But it was never, I think, treated as a masterpiece from the Gulf region uh, where it, you know, kind of, it didn't necessarily get the recognition I personally think it deserves. Uh, so the opportunity to see the movie, the filmmaker was there, uh, and there was a discussion about it. And you know, so 40 years later, it was also interesting to kind of see his thoughts on the movie. Uh, Faisal wrote an article for the National about the screening and about the discussion after the screening. And we decided let's sit together and go a bit more in depth about the movie and share it with uh, our listeners. So, hi, Faisal. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm really looking forward to our discussion about this film. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, excited to talk about it. It's a very important film that needs recognition, so hopefully a lot more people are put onto it and uh, can watch it, at least. So let's maybe start uh, from the very basics. What is this film about for people who have no idea what it is? So the film is set in pre-oil Kuwait. That's what the movie starts with. And uh, it's about the pearl diving industry in Kuwait, um, which was more or less the main source of income for Kuwaiti communities. Uh, specifically about a uh, young man who wants to be a pearl diver to provide for his family and secure a dowry for mar- to marry his loved one. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, his father... Um, was also a pearl diver who suffered an injury and is now essentially traumatized by the sea uh, and does not want his son to go out to sea and, and perhaps suffer the same fate. Um, so it's mostly that's how it starts and that's, those are the main characters and the story is just about you know the human struggle, uh, making ends meet, um, providing for oneself and family, uh, being productive, being useful, uh, and, and it's a very human element story, uh, sad, uh, but also funny in some parts. Um, I mentioned in the article that it can, it can be easily compared to some of the uh, Italian classics of the neorealist movement. Um, it mostly reminded me a lot of the bicycle thieves because of the struggle with poverty. Uh, that's something I feel that was uh, really focused on in this film. 
I think poverty is the main theme of this film and, and life pre-oil in the Gulf region. And Khalid did say, like, when why did he even make this movie? And what triggered it is when he was at one of the festivals showing kind of his, I know, a short a film about falconry. And the journalist that wanted to speak to him was just only interested in how rich are how rich are people in Kuwait and basically asking, you know, do you drive fancy cars and you live in big houses? And this is what, like late 60s, right? Or, or mid 60s. And he was frustrated with these questions and wanted to explain that, you know, yes, there's richness now, but there was a very long period of, you know, struggle and poverty. And this is what led him to make this film. And, and it's also, I think, one of, it's a rare occasion to see a film like this that addresses poverty in the Gulf region. That's made well, that's done where you can compare it to films like The Bicycle Thief, as you said. And, um, and I know, he didn't necessarily get the best support during and after the film, right? So, and again, there's this this factor of shame. You don't want to show poverty, uh, this culture of not wanting to show poverty, you know, in in, in the Gulf region. Um, and yeah, so that was really frustrating. And yeah, I mean, it was very um, it was very obvious to see when he was talking about the conception of the film that it made them angry and sad that there was a perception that there was no struggle in the Gulf, that everything was provided because of oil, when only about 25 years before that, uh, people were living in very harsh conditions, uh, having to go out to sea for four to six months at a time just to get one or two pearls that could provide for them for the next year or so. And he probably at the time came from a generation before him that lived that struggle and did not want that to be forgotten, mostly for the time being at the time, but also for future generations to not forget where they came from, where their uh, parents came from, and what they had to go through to get to a level of of prosperity that they sort of happened to fall into. Uh, So it was very obvious that uh, it was important to him to tell these stories. And I agree it's important because... I think with this, um, over time and over generations, there's this very romanticized version of the old days in the Gulf pre-oil, right? That, and it's just like, oh, it was a desert, and now it's this big metropolis. And I'm not, you know, not just in the UAE, but across the Gulf region. And it kind of completely skips over actual true day-to-day hardship where, yes, you know, food wasn't necessarily available, um, you know, money, and, and yes, men going out to sea in, like, extremely very, like, basic condition. They didn't have proper diving equipment to go underwater. The risk of bends, I think that was, like, a big thing, you know, so, and injuries, like, in the movie, you know, it's like a shark injury, you know, that attacked the father, and that's why he was traumatized. And, and, and women who are left for months and months back home and how are they dealing day to day you know taking care of children and providing food <laughs> and taking care of the house and and how is all of this done and i think it's something yes i wish more people addressed instead of this very ro- romanticized you know yeah we were you know tribal and it was desert and then we got oil and now we're all you know <laughs> living yeah. in better homes <laughs> uh the the director mentioned at some point that during the process of pre-production he got um calls from uh, high up high up ministers in Kuwait telling him that he shouldn't tell these stories because there was a level of shame that came with uh, the fact that uh, they were poor and they did have to struggle for money and they I suppose at the time felt the they should forget this this uh, 
time of their lives, and they shouldn't have to keep remembering it. But that made him even more um, motivated to to work on it. He he thought there's nothing to be ashamed of. These are these are their, the community stories. These are the community struggles for all all the people that spent time out at sea and all the people that might have died out at sea. Their their stories should never be forgotten. And there are quite a few stories in this film. So about the young, um, I forgot the name of the main character. Do you remember? Sad. His name is Msad. So Msad is not being allowed to go and work at uh, sea because his father's preventing him for safety. So this kind of, you know, typical Arab patriarch. So even for a grown son, you know, kind of father's telling what to do. Not much has changed <laughs> today. But yeah, like he's, he wants to protect his son, but the son feels useless. And he's basically saying everyone in the neighborhood's making fun of him and kind of belittling him and, and almost, you know, belittling his manhood. So this kind of, ma- you know, the, the role of masculinity in the Gulf region, you're supposed to be out there to provide for the family and he's not allowed to do that and it's not like there were lots of whole other jobs you know in the market to be part of right it was very minimal things that you could do and and I thought that was quite an interesting take on kind of representing this where he's still adamant but he also wants to marry so the other story is there's this love story he loves this girl usually stands outside her window and 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 he wants to marry her but because he there is no money you know he can't he's not rich enough or in a position to be able to you know run a household so for him to go and propose so it's 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 like between a rock and a hard place it's neither here nor there and what does he do and he you know eventually he does convince you know the father and he 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 goes out to sea but then i think the other story is kind of the these tight spaces on the boat and these you know men and you know and how are men interacting with each other in these extremely small kind of tight spaces and that fascinated me. And uh, and obviously there's the mother who is, you know, working hard and just kind of trying to deal with day to day, you know, just getting by, but also now missing her son who's out in dangerous conditions. And, and I know that it was just like really fascinating, this kind of representation of masculinity in the Gulf, representation of starting a family and what that means. You, you, a man cannot approach and ask for the hand of a young girl if he doesn't have enough money. And what is that? You know, how much enough money is enough? And I know, and I feel... Um, Part of that can be like reflected today, you know, yes, like addressing what it means, you know, the role of the male, <laughs> you know, and the role of female. So, yeah, I don't know. Any thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I'd just like to point out something that I found very, well, it, it's a sort of time capsule, I suppose, but very prominent today. Uh, at the way the father was convinced to let his son uh, go out to sea was when the captain of the ship called him essentially a woman for staying at home and saying essentially that you you might you know be a woman for staying at home but you have an excuse because you are injured but don't allow your son to follow that same path of being a woman which is it it played funny when it when we saw it at the at the theater because there was gasps um at that at that moment which i thought was uh, morose, but uh, you know it's it's sign of the the time. But it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed much. The fact that he, to be compared to a woman is a sign of weakness, and the fact that that is the thing that sort of changed his mind and said, "Oh, well, that's definitely something we shouldn't be called." Um, yeah. 
Yeah, and and again, I mean, at the time, yeah, it might have been. I know we've we've you we're talking about it as you know com considering the times we're in now and yeah you know like no things have changed women and women are equal but it really hasn't on the ground like at least in this part of the world right and so it's quite interesting to see that and and also see how like people respond to it um i mean another scene which totally stood out which i don't think we saw as a kid because they said that bit was censored when it was shown regionally was now i mean eventually and fine i don't know if these are considered spoilers but i mean it's <laughs> like it's just um uh, uh, I think it's one of those where it's okay to know about the movie before you see it. So it's not it's not like a thriller or a you know big reveal. But eventually, the girl that Masad was in love with, because he's been away for many months, the father basically gets another richer man who's come and asks for a hand, and and he says yeah. So again, this is this other kind of topic which is relevant about arranged marriages or forced marriages or marriages based on how much how class. The, the class, right? So. So the daughter's married off despite her not really wanting to get married and she's super young. And then there's this whole kind of the wedding night in, uh, scene where it's the party, the the groom is being led to the house. She's sitting waiting, totally freaked out because it's not someone she's met. So again, there was a lot for a long time, you know, the bride wouldn't see the groom till the wedding night. Right. So this was kind of because of like arranged marriages, etc. But then the actual wedding night, and fine, we don't necessarily. I mean, a it's 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 quite it's quite traumatic. Like it was a very traumatic scene. It was very. In, I, I wish I had the opportunity to ask uh, Khaled Sadiq, you know, how did he think about this and how did he approach it, you know, as a man and with this female director uh, actress and and just this you know usual cultural sensitivities in the region and how how do you you know think about planning to film a wedding night and in this case it's basically a rape scene because she's not ready you know she doesn't know who this man is doesn't she's you know and she's freaked out and this older man you know really and in the movie he just looks you know like really gross and like <laughs> not someone anyone wants to be with and but he films it in a way where you're not seeing sexual violence but there's definitely sexual violence and tension and trauma on on uh, that's on the screen. I won't say anymore because it's worth seeing again. You know, if ever you have a chance to see it, and that was I felt quite. Uh, I don't know. Almost I don't know if shocking is too big a word, but again, topics that you know would never be shown if it, a film like that would be made today. Um, up until that scene, I was impressed with the film, but not sort of completely convinced that this might have been the masterpiece we we all heard it was. During and after, I was absolutely convinced. I mean, the way it was shot, masterfully shot, uh, very suggestive, uh, not uh, blatant about anything, but you understand everything that's happening. Camera movements, zoom in, zoom outs. The music is intense and gets your heart pumping and relentlessly does not stop. I mean, for the whole scene, at the end, this is a wedding scene. Like, it should, it should not feel nerve-wracking but the way it's shot the way it's it follows you know the the groom and the bride sort of uh emotions and 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 their faces and their reactions because for the most part it's you know something that most khaliji families have to deal with almost regularly weddings are not something out of the ordinary at all 
but to see it conveyed in a way where we're seeing exactly how the groom feels, exactly how the bride feels in that situation, and just the tension between them because of the context of you know forced marriage, it was incredible. I, I felt it was very much ahead of its time. And to have shown it, and, and this is the ironic part, it was censored. It was censored for years in, 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 in the Gulf that mostly everyone who saw it either on TV or in cinemas when it came out uh, in limited release did not see that version, that, that cut of the film because it was censored. But I feel it's the most important scene of the film. It's the best uh, executed scene of the film. And I'm so happy I got to see it for the first time included because genuinely it, it just put me over the line and, and it makes it a very important film for it. Yeah, definitely. It adds this extra depth to the film. And, you know, it's not about, oh, you know, uh, poor fishermen out to sea, <laughs> you know, and the hardship. And, it, and that's it. And I think as we touched upon it earlier, like it, it, it touch, it's about society and society includes the women. It includes, you know, greedy, <laughs> you know, fathers who want to marry off their daughters. And, uh, and yeah, that scene felt really crucial. And yeah, and it went on. It wasn't like, oh, a half a minute scene. It went on for a couple of minutes and it was quite astonishing to see. I'd just like to mention that the fact that this came from a Khaliji man, uh, a man no less, in the, six, uh, in the late 60s in Kuwait, to have sort of conveyed what it felt for a woman in the situation, I feel is A, incredibly rare and should be commended because not many people cared what the women felt in this, in this scenario. They wouldn't have even given second thought that she might have not wanted it or have, have been, because of, she was forced into it, she might have, you know... Uh, reacted differently, but to have wanted to show the uh, struggle and and the sensitivity of it, I feel he should be given props for it because again, many many people would have shied away from it, not even given given consideration that this would have happened. So, yeah, very important that he did that, and he should be given props for it. Um. Which, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I want to jump forward, but he, we talk about, like, filmmaking today, right? And what kind of stories are made. And, and a lot of time you hear about how the story has to go through an approval process first, you know, through some kind of, I don't know, censorship board. So there's a pre-approval, there's a, a committee, you know, before even, a, you know, to get the film made, like, the story needs to be approved, so they need to read the script, and <laughs> the film gets made, and then there's this other kind of journey of a film before it makes its way to a cinema or TV. And, I mean, and to me, with Khaled, I think he was, like, a true independent filmmaker. Like he said, he sold whatever he could to get, make, you know, money, to raise money to make this film. And kind of one of those rare renegades, I'm going to make this film... A completely independent uh, venture, and he did say he studied abroad. Because I was, you know, I forgot. I was before we recorded. I was asking like, what made him want to be a filmmaker? And so, can you, you know, share with us? Uh, it was it was mentioned uh, in the introduction of the Q and A that he had studied abroad in India and then in the U.S. So that was, I guess, the uh, crux of his filmmaking creativity cycle. Uh, I, I I could see where his influences came from. Because of that, he um, was very dedicated in making this. He said he had to sell land he owned to make the film. He had to convince his parents, which, you know, 
you have to imagine this is a man in his mid-twenties still asking for permission from his parents, which he showed very well. He conveyed very well. I suppose he did have to inject some of his own life into the story. And uh, he had opposition from the government, from the communities around him, uh, that he shouldn't make this. And, and, and yet he persevered. And it was very obvious that he was very proud of his work. When, when uh, people clapped after the film ended, he looked very proud of it. He was very appreciative of the reaction. And he knows how important his film is. And... So a film is not just a director, it's, a, you know, there's actors and writers involved. And let's maybe talk about the actors. So they're all super big names today. Uh, they come from a theater background. And again, remember, like, so in the 60s and 70s, Kuwait was far ahead culturally and in, in, especially in the, in the world of theater uh, compared to the rest of the Gulf region. I mean, we growing up, a lot of programs we watched on TV were produced and recorded in Kuwait. So so you can't deny that. And, I mean, the three main actors, uh, we can list them. So we had Mohammed al-Mansour, who was acting as Masaad the son. We had Saad al-Faraj, who was acting as a father. And Hayat al-Fahad, who was the mother. And they were all probably close, you know, the same age. But again, it wasn't necessarily a big pool of actors and actresses at the time. And, uh, and they're all really big names in the Gulf region. Anyone outside the Gulf listening to this, you might not be familiar with them, but they're big names. A lot of them continue to work, predominantly TV, because again, I mean, in terms of cinema, it's still not, it really hasn't advanced. Like after the cruel scene, it's not like there are a few more films made, but there's not, a, you know, a list of uh, big films compared to TV. So TV, theater and TV were kind of the main uh, platforms for actors and film, you know, directors to work on. And, and, like I said, I, I, I'm almost certain they're all the same age. And, you know, for Hayat al-Fahad to act as this old mother. <laughs> but it was also interesting how Khalid would say when they were filming this, because uh, the actors come from a theater background and theater acting is different to acting for a film, you know, how he had to ask them to tone it down a bit, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, if, if anyone had recognized these names, these are huge names today in, in, the, in the Arab uh, t- television industry, let's say. Uh, but uh, they've they've really established themselves after this film came out. Um, especially Hayat Fahad, many would consider the Meryl Streep of the region. She is very much well known in all circles. Uh, but to have acted as an old woman at that age and and really perfected it, you'd have never you know thought twice about the fact that she is very much a, a young woman in early twenties. She. It's obvious the trajectory she she uh, she had uh, ahead of her. Mohammed um, Mansour, same thing. Saad Faraj is a powerhouse of, of comedy and drama in the Gulf region. He has acted in in many TV series and, and theater plays uh, across the region, and uh, many people know him for shows like Darbuzaleg and and other plays. But again, these are people who had just started acting, and to see their performances only shows you how big they would get after this um, and do you know um, anything about the writers like any so when you were preparing to write the article what research came up uh, because again I feel like you can never you know uh, I would just wish now thinking back like I wish we asked more questions when Khaled uh, Sadiq was there you know after the screening but yeah can we talk maybe a bit about the writers so Khaled Sadiq was one of the writers uh 
there were two others, but interestingly, one of them, Abdurrahman Saleh, uh, was a Kuwaiti writer uh, at the time who worked on theater and, and uh, briefly in TV. Uh, he then moved to the UAE and became naturalized because uh, he was revered for his cultural insight and then became a minister of culture in the UAE. So a uh, very important figure for this country and for the Gulf as a whole. Uh, interestingly, came from this film, uh, which put his name on the map. I mean, with the UAE. So again, one interesting anecdote was how Sheikh Zayed was very interested in the film and he wanted to have his own copy. And the copy at the time meant a 35 mil, you know, the reel of the film, not not VHS, not DVD, not Blu-ray. And how uh, uh, Khaled was basically tasked that he should go and deliver it himself, obviously out of respect. And, you know, it was like kind of felt like it was a super formalized, you know, <laughs> occasion. Um, and all I could think of, like, oh, wow, there's a 35 mil, you know, version of this film lying somewhere. And I don't know. What do you think? Where can we find that version? Uh, I mean, we've, we've, we seem to have asked around. And uh, unfortunately, all, all leads seem to have... Uh said that it is more or less destroyed. Uh, there's, there's no record of it. And uh, it would have been, uh, fortunately, the only good copy of the film, probably in, in the best condition worldwide, uh, the best candidate to get a restoration. Uh, but unfortunately, it seems like, from what we've heard, it was discarded and uh, um, put in some sort of archives that was then ignored. So, yeah, I mean, none of this is, like, factual. This is, again, just based on us asking around. Uh, we're still fishing for information. I still refuse to give up unless I get a formal answer saying, yeah, it's not available. Uh, I still want to think it's lying in some corner that someone's forgotten about. So, again, what we're saying is just based on what we were asking just very casually with a few people we know around. Because, I I mean, the version we saw, so I think it's important to highlight that the version, because I thought, oh, they're going to screen, oh, was the film restored? And we're going to see the restored version, but it, far from it. It was a version from Channel 4, you said? Yeah, it was a uh, version that was uh, given to Channel 4 in the UK in the late 80s. Uh, I suppose they were fishing around for films from the uh, world section. And uh, they got fortunately the uncut version so it had the wedding scene and uh they they hard-coded subtitles on it um and i suppose that it was just either left in their libraries or given back uh to Khaled because that's the version we got to watch and um one thing i want to talk about the movie uh, which i felt really stood out and i was surprised and it wasn't something i remembered the underwater scene where you know so the color is different because the movie's overall black and white but we do get scenes of underwater, especially when they're kind of like diving and looking for pearls or being attacked by sea, sea creatures. Uh, and yeah, there was some where like it's and it just feels like it's a completely different world. So literally. Right. So visually, aesthetically, so the way it was shot and just you're taken into this completely other world. And uh, I was interested to, you know, again, when Khaled talked about it, how he has never shot underwater and he said, I'll deal with it when I have to deal with it. And, and they first filmed everything that was above water <laughs> and on land. And then he addressed it, which is just amazing to hear filmmakers and like the spirit of I'm going to do it regardless. And and again, I it just I'm always kind of thinking of now and comparing it to, you know, filmmakers today in the region and how we just don't have someone that kind of pushes him or herself to make something. And yeah, any thoughts on that? Yeah, he, he mentioned that he had prepared himself to make uh, 
a version with a film that didn't have the underwater scenes and, and a version with the underwater scenes. And uh, he had been told by all his crew, all his actors, that it would be impossible to film any scenes underwater. Uh, but he persevered. He said he had gotten a uh, cinematographer from uh, the UK, I believe, and he had uh, found camera casings that would be waterproof. And he managed to get them done. And he wanted them to be so perfect, they actually filmed all the underwater scenes before filming any of the above-water scenes. So he was very adamant in, in including these. Uh, there were obviously... Uh, there, there was history of, of filming underwater before it. There were documentaries even made about the Gulf that had uh, pearl diving footage, but nothing from an, you know, natively homegrown efforts. So it was a huge undertaking on his part, but uh, thankfully he did do it, and, and it does look great. It looks like a very much a psychedelic uh, view of the water with the color change and the dynamic sort of angles, and um, yeah. So the frustration, I think, is that this movie is hard to see. It's not available on DVD or Blu-ray. There is a version on YouTube, which is like a terrible version. I think it's just someone who's ripped off a copy from TV because it's got like the TV logo on it. So that's kind of the the best, you know, first option. I'm not even sure if it's subtitled. Um, So I, I don't know if someone wants to fish for that just to see, to get a sense of what that film looks like. But... It's, um, I don't know, do we need to sign a petition to get this film restored? Like, it's, it's just frustrating that there's an important film from the Gulf region, so not necessarily, you know, Arab in general, but the Gulf region, where this is probably one of the films that totally needs to be restored, to be given a, a, a revival and, uh, you know, shown properly on the big screen. I, I, I don't know. Like, um, apart from just you and I talking about this and, and talking to people we know, what what, what kind of... Uh, you know, what can we say here for anyone listening who could help? Right, so obviously we need to flag up that uh, if you are someone who's able to uh, nudge this film towards any restoration uh, entity or someone who could uh, take care of it, obviously we've mentioned in conversations before uh, places like the World Cinema Foundation, Martin Scorsese World Cinema Foundation, or this Cineteca Bologna, they are, you know, known for restoring classics of, of every part of the world. They have films from places like Kyrgyzstan and, and old films from Turkey. And uh, I, I came onto the World Sim Foundation because of a screening of The Color of Pomegranates uh, that we saw at the Abu Dhabi Film Festival about four years ago. And uh, it, it is a film that deserves attention. It deserves to be uh, proud of. Uh, everyone from the Gulf should try, and everyone who loves film in the Gulf should try and flag this up as a film that needs to be restored. It needs to get a second uh, or maybe even a first run uh, in Gulf cinemas. Uh, Saudi now has a, uh, ha- has a, you know, cinemas opening up, so it, it could, you know, very much be a successful film. It's important to see our origins in, in, in you know, art making or filmmaking, and this is a very, very much important landmark when it comes to to filmmaking. So please, if you do know someone, um, put them onto this film and, 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 you know, let's start the search for the best film reel that could be restored. And then hopefully in in a couple of years, we could see it, you know, on Blu-ray or in the Criterion collection, anything, to be honest, if if there's just a blank Blu-ray with no uh, you know, extras, that'd still be fine because it would be the best way to watch the film, but definitely it needs attention. 
And in terms of what Khalid Sadiq does now, I mean, he's still quite active. He, I mean, he appears to be like an interesting character. He's quite, you know, he's very vocal. He's quite honest. And uh, again, I just wish that talk had lasted longer. I wish we had access to him to talk to him. But I mean, before Cruelty, he's made short films. And Cruelty was his first feature film, uh, 1972. And I, and I know after that, he made a movie called The Wedding of Zane in 1976, which I've not seen. Do you know anything about it? Uh, I've not seen either, but during my research, uh, it seems like it was film uh, that was uh, made in Sudan uh, based on a Lebanese poem, which is an incredible combination, a Kuwaiti director, a Lebanese poem, and a a Sudanese film. Uh, Again, something that needs to be unearthed and and, and watched. Obviously, it didn't get as much, you know, uh, attraction when, uh, like the Cruel Sea, because the Cruel Sea had a, you know, gulf angle to it. This is a little bit far... Uh, removed from the Gulf, so it didn't get that much attention in Kuwait or the other Gulf countries. So it would be interesting to unearth this film and, and, and be able to watch it. Yeah, I need to figure out uh, how to track this movie. I mean, I know. I'm hoping maybe I'll send our episode to Khaled Sadiq for him to listen to, and maybe, I don't know, <laughs> he can send us these copies. Uh, but I think he also runs a production company. So he's he's still active, not necessarily making films, but I think he's still in, in the industry. So whether, you know, he's got a production company. I don't know the details of what work he's involved in. But... Um, but when he was asked about what his thoughts on current filmmakers and filmmaking in the region, and one line that stood out for me is how everyone wants to play it safe, which kind of totally, I think if this one line to sum it up, <laughs> you know, about filmmaking in, in the Gulf region is how everyone wants to play it safe. And again, I think I touched upon it earlier where, yeah, stories have to be pre kind of approved uh, before even getting made here. Unless like filmmakers just, decide to fund their films on their own which is a huge and a you know very difficult task I don't envy them you know what else needs to be done and it was interesting messaging and I I don't know how many filmmakers were in the actual room to hear him say that but we nodded like you know in agreement when he said that like everyone wants to play it safe so I know I get the impression he's not necessarily super satisfied about the film industry at the moment in the region in the Gulf region. No, he he was definitely sad when he talked about that, mostly because he felt maybe the struggles that he went through would probably be lesser and lesser with with time. Uh, And, and, you know, comparing 1972 to now, you'd expect a lot of these things to have become easier and and, and, and people would not have to struggle so much to just make a film, Uh, especially that the resources are there, the potential is there. There's more than enough... um, people in the Gulf that can do every part of a, of a film's role, uh, from director to producer to actors to people behind the camera to editors. The talent is there. The the crop is there. It's it's a shame that uh, there's not much effort there. And, and when it comes to, you know, playing it safe, he's specifically talking about censorship. Um, filmmakers are kind of... They, they aren't trying too hard or they're try, trying at all. Uh, censorship should not be a roadblock. It should be a workaround. He proved that with the wedding scene. Even though it did get censored, he provided a more or less workaround for showing what is essentially a rape at a wedding night. Um, and, 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 it, and it was more or less good for it because it didn't need to be explicit and and he didn't show much but you felt everything you understood everything and that's what he meant when he says they're playing safe because 
other than trying to achieve the best work possible and, and, and delivering the message you want to deliver, people are not even trying. Uh, and that's what playing is safe, I feel, means. So, yeah, I think the thing is maybe, yeah, we just need to keep talking about the importance of film and remind people about a movie like The Cruel Sea and how it was done and how much has changed or not changed from 1972 to now in, in terms of the film industry in the region. And I really hope there's a chance for this movie to be shown more because, again, it was a very, it was a very limited audience. I mean, it was a full room. Uh, but it was still limited. It's only people who knew about it because ne- it wasn't necessarily advertised publicly. Uh, it was within the NYU Abu Dhabi uh, campus. Uh, and and despite a full room in that auditorium, I just feel it needs to be shown more widely to more people of all nationalities because it was, in, it was good to see non-Arabs in the room because I think it was completely their first time to be exposed to a film like this, about a story like this, about the region um so it's great so I, I think we just yeah probably need to keep talking anyone listening to this that's interested in helping fight the fight with us you know please let us know do read the article written by Faisal it's on the national uh, it's called the first ever GCC film and the story of how Sheikh Zayed saw it and what he uh, summarizes the uh, discussion in the Q&A after the screening uh, that we both attended I will put this on my blog too and add some more thoughts about this film. Uh, the blog's The Culturist. And uh, yeah, please, uh, you know, listen, spread the word. If you're interested in films from the region, you know, talk to people about it. Uh, there's information online. It's not necessarily, you know, a rich source of information that's available like in published books. But I think, you know, the information is there. You just need to find it, talk to people who would know. and uh, and And yeah, and hopefully more and more people will be aware of this film and, and see it. I mean, meaning, you know, current ge- the young generation. Uh, anyway, so thank you for listening and till next time. And to hear more episodes, please follow us and subscribe to Tea with Culture on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud and Stitcher. We're also now on Anrami and you can follow our news and updates on Twitter and Instagram. Till next time.